0: Okay, up next is going to be nineteen ninety two PGA Tour Rookie of the Year and one of the great on course commentators of all time, and that's Mark Carnivale. Before I get to Mark, I want to remind you about two under men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the twenty twenty Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over fifty other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them, just to mention a few like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco, The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R.com. Two Under, performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Scony changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean, too. So spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit com and use code NXT on T20. So next on T20, at checkout for 20% off. That's scony.com, S-K-O-N-I.com. They're also available at Golf Specialty Retailers and Greengrass Pro Shops nationwide.
1: Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in. Yes!
0: Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is Mark Carnivale. Mark has been a wonderful friend of the show over the last several years. Let me remind you about his background. He's from Annapolis, Maryland, played his college golf at James Madison University, where he was a four-year letterman and a two-time team MVP. While he was there, Mark won the 1979 Governor's Classic and the 1982 James Madison University Invitational. Graduated with his degree in marketing and a minor in economics. In 1999, he was inducted into the JMU Athletics Hall of Fame. He turned pro in 1983 and he won four times out on the PGA Tour at the 1984 Virginia Open, the 1990 Utah Open, the 1992 Chattanooga Classic, and the 1997 Nike Inland Classic. Mark was named the PGA Tour Rookie of the Year in 1992. He finished 25th at the 1998 U.S. Open at the Olympic Club in San Francisco. You can now hear him on Sirius XM's PGA Tour Radio and PGA Tour Live. He is easily one of the all-time great golf analysts and on-course broadcasters, and I am honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Mark, thanks for coming back on the show.
1: Chris, great to be with you as always.
0: Mark, I got to get your thoughts. We're here on the heels of yesterday's final round of the U.S. Open. What'd you think of the tournament? Uh,
1: it's uh, obviously, as always, uh, major championships are interesting. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, as I looked at it, there was never sort of a bad scenario uh, that the result uh, with uh, Wyndham Clark winning. I mean, you got to be happy for him. And I don't know if uh, your listeners and people that really follow the game understand that everything that Wyndham went through and You know, he came into the college ranks, uh, you know, a star and was at Oklahoma State. And then his mom passed away after a battle with cancer and went to Oregon. And then he seemed pretty lost for a while. And even in his years on the Corn Prairie Tour and PGA Tour, you know, was trying to find himself and then obviously won the Wells Fargo Championship. And then yesterday, winning the uh, US Open. And uh, I believe in sort of the spiritualness of the game of golf. And it was pretty obvious that, uh, you know, his mom was with him that whole day and you, you got to applaud him for the way he performed and uh, with uh, up against some very tough, uh, you know, fan favorites and Ricky and certainly Rory McIlroy. Uh, but it was interesting. I think it was uh, an interesting golf course. Uh, I've never played L.A. Country Club, uh, but uh, it certainly provided some interesting scenarios. And uh, I, I thought, you know, golf. You know, golf is is sort of in a strange place, Chris, in in the sense that uh, you know, we look at the major championships and now uh with the lip players being allowed to play in the majors, and I have no problem with that. But it just uh it, it was it was not like a normal US Open, I guess, so to speak, in the sense that we expect the top players to be the ones contending. But ultimately that's why it's the US Open because it's open to everybody and uh Uh, Again, you can't go wrong with the fact that uh, Wyndham won. I think he played the best, and and he was deservedly so the champion.
0: So you talk about his struggles and the things that he has gone through. He's been on the PGA Tour now for the parts of seven seasons. Coming into this year, his best finish was a second place at the Bermuda Championship back in 2020. But he's got nine top tens. He's now obviously a major champion. You mentioned the win he got last month at Quail Hollow seven top tens on the season, 29 years old. Is this a guy now that is free of all of that stuff? We've seen guys in the past, once they win one major, things seem to come a little bit easier for him. Is this a guy you think is going to be fighting for multiple majors as we look out into the future?
1: I think it might depend on the golf course, but I think, again, it, 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 was, it was as if he had nothing to lose on Sunday. And certainly, Ricky had a lot to gain, and certainly Rory had a lot to gain. So I think the pressure, and it appeared that the pressure wasn't, uh, you know, having the best of him. Uh, I think that, but now you get in that position, then the expectations are are high, not only amongst himself, but certainly the fans. And uh, that that's when golf, I think, becomes tougher. Is when you can separate those expectations. Chris, uh, he's going to have a lot more personal expectations of himself. And I think the fans will
0: as well. You mentioned Ricky Fowler and I I know I was rooting for Ricky. Um, I think what we all feared could happen on Sunday did a final round 75. He was kind of really out of it by the seventh hole, but glasses half full with Ricky. We haven't seen him in this position in a long time. His game had fallen almost completely apart until he went back to Butch Harmon. Are there good things that you think Ricky is going to be able to take from this performance? and then ride that sort of wave of at least the first three rounds into the rest of this year, and then obviously into next year as well?
1: I absolutely think so. I mean, it has been a transition, uh, and 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 I would say it's probably more than a year for Ricky, uh, probably a couple years since. You know, he's really felt comfortable out on the golf course, and he looks that way. He's had good finishes this season. And, you know, you you look at the first two rounds, and 18 birdies at 36 holes. That was impressive. I don't know what the number was in the weekend, but the number of birdies was 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 not there. And you're going to make mistakes in the U.S. Opens, and he just wasn't over to, able to overcome that. But I think he gained a lot from it. I think his confidence is there. And I think the biggest thing about Ricky is he, we know he's certainly a, a star in the game, and, and the fans love him. And I even I remember I was watching a little bit, uh, after saturday's round and he was out there signing autographs and, and yes i mean i think it would have been an unbelievable story uh if he were to go on to win that in california in la where he's from you know he grew up very close to la uh that would have been uh you know a, a sort of a, a a dream story for him but i think he's definitely on the right track uh i saw him early this year and particularly when he went with that putter back at the amex championship and i asked him about it and uh, you know, his his caddy, uh, Ricky Romano was in his bag. We were playing a, a round before the tournament began and he just pulled it out and started putting with it. And, you know, it's something like that that can change things. I think he's getting more comfortable with that. I think his golf swing is, is, is a lot more like it used to be with, with many improvements. And, and I think it, it's just, you got to get back in that mix. And again, I think he had a lot to lose, uh, on Sunday. But I think at the same time, uh, he gained an awful lot of confidence uh, with his performance this week.
0: What are your thoughts on Rory McIlroy? We keep waiting for that fifth major to come around. We've come up on almost nine years since he won his last one. What are your thoughts about where Rory's at?
1: It's interesting. I mean, and we can go back, and for the last year and a half, Rory McIlroy's been the face of the PGA Tour. He stood up and you know has dealt with questions every week about Liv versus the PGA Tour. I think that has taken a toll on him, Chris. uh, I think it would be we would be sort of silly not to think it hasn't, and yet at the same time he's still there in in contention uh, for all these tournaments. I, I, you know, it's and I'm sitting there watching this weekend, and you know, I know I know Rory and I know his caddy Harry Diamond quite well, but I go back and and I'm I'm like trying to you know figure this out. Uh, 2016 is when Harry you know, came on Rory's bag, and I, he's won at least two FedEx Cups since then. He's won multiple tournaments around the world since then, but he has not won a major championship. And I have to wonder sometimes, and again, it's, it, this is nothing against Rory or nothing against Harry Diamond, but I have to wonder if you go back and he he won those four major championships with J.P. J. Fitzgerald, you know, does, does, and, and and Harry's a good friend of Rory's, and a, a childhood friend of Rory's. Does that affect Rory when it comes to these big tournaments? I don't know if it does or not, Chris. But I just I just sense there's there's something there with that. And and I could be totally wrong. And as I said, it's not it's not a negative sort of comment against Harry or, or Rory, but I just have to wonder if 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 that has held him back. Uh, obviously he's won tournaments. But when you get in a major championship, it's a little different. And, you know, there are times when I think players, uh, you know, get the best of themselves. They get their, they get in their own way. And if you have an experienced caddy on the bag, you know, maybe it's different. And I I'm not, I mean, Harry's got a lot of experience now. I mean, it's almost eight years of caddying for Rory. So it's not that. But I just think having a friend on the bag in a major championship, when you might need someone to say, hey, you know what? You know, let's look at it this way, or or why don't you think about doing this? I don't know. But that's an observation on my part, being out there and seeing it week after week. Uh, again, I, I think Rory McIlroy is an ultimate professional. I, I respect him to the utmost. But I just have to wonder if there's not some sort of common thread there.
0: Mark, what did you think of LA Country Club? This was our first time seeing the golf course. It's very exclusive out there. I think after Ricky and Xander went out and shot 62 on Thursday, some of us might have leaped to the thought that it was set up too easy. Maybe the fairways were too wide, but after an eight under first round, 10 under goes on to win it. What'd you think of the course? And maybe they go back there again sometime in the future.
1: I've never played there, Chris. So, I mean, I just, I've just seen it on TV like everybody else. I think it's a very interesting golf course. I think uh, it's different than from what we see in most opens, as you said, with, very wide fairways, but at the same time, it, it requires some pretty uh, accurate shots to be able to to make your way around there. Uh, I, I think it was great for LA. I mean, the first time in 75 years that the U.S. Open was back there. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I <laughs> Having not played it, I think it, it's hard to give a good sort of sense of it. I think the competitive aspect of it was there. Uh, it seemed a little tricky at times. But I think that's what we're used to in the U.S. Open, and that's what golf is. Um, it, it's it's definitely different, and, and uh, I think it certainly presented a different challenge for these players. And and I would actually have no problem with them going back there because at the end of the day, golf is golf, Chris. You still have to execute the shots, and if you execute them, then you might then you can figure out a way to get yourself around the golf course. And you know, we saw certainly plenty of players do that.
0: Mark switching gears almost two weeks ago now, Jay Monahan and Yasser Ramayan dropped a big bombshell on all of us. What'd you make of the news?
1: uh you know, very similar to what uh, Tom Watson you know sent in a letter i i i' I'm, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed uh I, I'm a bit confused because there was no meat to the announcement other than this uh you know venture um I, I just don't think there's enough information out there Chris, up uh, uh I, and it has nothing to do with the saudis or anything else i, I just don't know how this helps the game of golf uh, i don't know how it helps the pga tour players uh as tom said in his letter and i don't know if you've read it or not i did but there's just a lot of uncertainty and, and you know what does this mean for the tour you know who do we who do we report to i know a lot of things were said and it was a very closed meeting um, You know for since I got on the pJ tour, it was it was always reiterated that this is the players' tour. But how do you come to a decision like that without involving the players? And I talked to I texted a number of players when the announcement came out, and they had no idea about this. Um, i I you know if it helps the game of golf, you know I, I'm, I have no problem, but the reality is we don't know enough information about what's going to happen and where this takes us. I have my suspicions as to what ultimately might come about of this. Uh, I think that there's a possibility that we could see a world tour. And obviously, when you go back to Greg Norman back in the early 90s, that's kind of what he wanted. Uh, I don't know if this is the case or not. And I have no information that makes me believe this is true. But I have a, I have a sense that we may see something like the Premier League where you have, I don't know the number, say 50 players that play in these events around the world, and then maybe the last 10 or 20 get relegated every year. I don't know. Uh, What my biggest concern is, uh, is not only for the players, what this game represents, what it's always stood for, uh, because these events are all about the communities that they're in and being able to generate uh, charitable dollars. I, I just, I don't know where we are with that. I think about all the tournament sponsors that have have, have stayed and, and been, you know, a partner with the PGA Tour for so long to put these events on and sort of where they're at. Um, I, I, but again, I think the biggest thing is that we just don't have enough information about what this all is going to look like.
0: You mentioned the world tour that, that Norman tried to get off uh, the ground back in the mid-90s. You were on tour when all of that was going yeah. on. What was it like back then when Greg was trying to get that thing off the ground? And why do you think he was able to get it off the ground now and not back then?
1: I I don't know the reason why it didn't. I do know that uh, uh, basically after everything went through, and, and I know Commissioner Fincham was was leading the charge against it. I mean, we we ultimately founded these World Golf Championships. Uh, I don't know if that was a substitute for them. I think that there was some, again, this is all speculation on my part, Chris. I don't I don't know all the facts. But my guess is there there was some uh you know pushback against basically one player's idea of what golf should be. Um and, and it sort of went against all the sort of against the principles of what the tour represented uh, by going to something like that. And uh, I, I, you know, I just, I don't know if it can exist or not. Uh, I, I don't, I, I I can honestly say I haven't watched any of the live golf. Uh, look, these guys are the, the best players in the world. And as a, as a professional golfer and still a member of the PGA tour, I want the best players playing against one another every week. I I want that. Uh, I don't. It doesn't mean that I we can't have competition. We can't have different formats. But I think at the end of the day, what is important to me is, is what the PGA Tour represented for years and years and years about going to these communities and generating charitable dollars for these, uh, these these communities and, and and title sponsors coming in there and using that to their benefit. And yes. Uh, there's a lot of money being spent. I think maybe, uh, you know, there there was talk of, you know, too much money being spent on fighting these legal battles. Uh, I don't know uh, to the extent of that. Uh, obviously, it was going to be a never-ending battle for a while. And I think, you know, again, I think that the, the reality was they both realized this was like a, uh, you know, a battle that wasn't going to end. Uh, I, I do think that was a smart move on that part. But at the same time, uh I, I don't I don't know where where it's going. And I think that Greg Norman I, I can't knock him for having an idea uh you know of, of believing that the best players in the world should be showcased. But at the same time it's gotta be equitable. It, it's gotta be uh fair in in the sense of of being able to be a part of that and, and earning your way into that. Um I just, I don't, I don't know. And and it just seems like the timing may have been really bad uh, when Greg, uh, you know, decided to propose that. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it was, it was almost, there was this 30 year vendetta uh, against the tour that he finally found someone that was willing to fund it.
0: Does it send up red flags for you at all that shortly after the deal was announced and Jay Monahan met with the players at the Canadian open. He announces that he's got an undisclosed illness and neither Tyler Dennis nor Ron price, the guys that are now taking over in the interim, they say they haven't spoken to him. Don't know what the issue is.
1: Uh, I don't either. Um, th- I could understand the pressure of it. Uh, I mean, this is, this is tough. And, and as, as I mentioned earlier, this is supposedly the players tour. Uh, I, I have, I have a problem with, the players not being involved with this decision. Um, I, I, I have the ultimate respect for Tyler and Ron Price, but they're not players. And, and I think, and, and I may have mentioned this to you before, Chris, I mean, you look at every other sports organization uh, in the world, and there are former players somewhere in the management. They're not, they're not the commissioner. They may not be senior vice presidents, but they are in there. And they're in there for a reason. Because they've had the experience of playing this game. And there's no substitute for that experience. Now, do they have every aspect of the business world? No. But they understand what it takes for these guys to play. And and I know that uh, Well, Jason Jason Gore was hired last fall by the tour. But I, I think there needs to be more, in my opinion. And it's not anything against. But there just has been this trend away from it ever since uh, Commissioner Beeman retired, that uh, there's been very little involvement from former players. And I think that's a problem. Uh, I, I think it, it not that they can solve every problem, but I think there's a necessity to have that experience somewhere up there that uh, not necessarily can prevent things from happening, but certainly you have a different perspective. I mean, these are all business people. I get that. And I said, this is not anything against anybody. That's there. I just I it's more common sense to me. That that how do you not have that? And and that's is that a problem? I don't know. But I do feel like the players who have been told for years and years that this is their tour, I have to wonder about that. Is it really their tour?
0: Mark, I want to switch gears a little bit. And not only are we on the heels of the US Open, but we're also on the heels of Father's Day. I want to go back to your playing career. And when you went through Q school in 1991, that year was played at Greenleaf Resort, which is outside of Haines City, Florida. Your father was with you that week. When you finished your final round, you called your dad, who was back at the hotel packing for his flight back home. Do you mind sharing that story with us?
1: Yeah, it was it was obviously very good. And I owe everything uh, in the game of golf to my dad because he showed it to me at a young age. Uh, my father, who is demonstrative uh, Italian, Successful basketball coach, athletic administrator, and and my dear, my closest friend. Um, and I had never been around my father. Where I couldn't hear him speak, and he wanted me to call him. And this was back before cell phone, <laughs> Chris. So I called him at the hotel. He had a he had like a an evening flight, and, and we got done because he wanted to know exactly where I finished. And I called him, and I told him I think I ended up finishing 17th or 18th. And he couldn't speak. And um, my father was my hero, along with Arnold Palmer. And uh, that's people ask me uh, throughout my, what's what's the greatest moment in my career? And yes, I I was rookie of the year. I won, uh, obviously, in Chattanooga, and I won other times. But that is the greatest moment in my career, because I I not only owe everything I am to him, but my mom, uh, Agnes, as well. Uh, for making me the person I am and, and appreciative of, of what i gained out of life and my commitment to it. And that was just a very special moment to me. And they got people, my friends look at me like, really? I'm like, yeah. I mean, that's, you would have to know my father to understand that. Uh, but that's how much he meant to me in, in, in me getting to the PGA tour and achieving the goals that I've had throughout my life.
0: We've mentioned about how you were named PGA Tour Rookie of the Year in 1992 that came when you were age 32. Phil was also a rookie that season, so it was David Toms, but you're named Rookie of the Year because you had a better year than both of those guys, and your peers are actually the ones who voted you Rookie of the Year. What was it like for you when you got that phone call?
1: Uh, I, was, I, was, I was astonished, quite frankly. Uh, but I was the only rookie that had won that season. Uh, I talked to a number of people, and I had been I had been around the game since the early '80s. There was a, a PGA Tour event in Williamsburg, Virginia, the Innes Bush Classic, press, and I had not only gotten exemptions of that a number of times. I uh, Monday qualified for it. Uh, we had a local qualifying for it, so I I was around all these a lot of these guys for a long time, and I think you know while I think they appreciated. You know what I had done and what I had achieved. I also think it was part uh, of the kind of person I am. I think and that I was very approachable. Uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I just loved what I did. I, I loved the game, and I was there to entertain the fans. And uh, I think, I mean, hopefully, think and I believe. I never really asked anybody, but I believe that they've realized that. And uh, so I think that was part of the reason. And uh, but again, I was totally flabbergasted by it.
0: You mentioned the 92 Chattanooga Classic. You get your uh, first PGA Tour win there. You come from five strokes back in the final round, and you ended up beating Ed Darty and and Dan Forsman by two strokes. Talk about what it was like coming down the stretch, knowing that you have an opportunity to make that big comeback and also get your first PGA Tour win. I
1: I have to be honest with you, Chris. I didn't know what was going on. Um, I shot 64 that final round. I think I had two three-putts during that round as well. Um, it just kind of came to fruition. I mean, I saw the leaderboard coming down the stretch, but I was just playing golf. And, and I think that uh, as I look back on it, um, it, it just, I was kind of in that, you know, everybody, every player talks about being in that zone and not really knowing what's going on. And and I can be honest with you, I, I didn't. Uh, we got done. Uh, I was leading the golf tournament and I had to sit around, I think, Almost an hour and a half, uh, and I think Ed Dougherty had to hold his second shot at 18 in order to tie me. Uh, and I actually was by the green when when he was out there and, and celebrated when, when he didn't. Um, but I think that's what golf is. I mean, golf is is an opportunity for players to kind of be out there with themselves. And, and I and I, you know, in my in my broadcasting, Chris, and I'm, I'm extending this and I'm going a little further on this question. Uh, I've been doing, I've been broadcasting over 20 years now, uh, whether it's PJ Tour Radio, PJ Tour Live. I started doing PJ Tour Live back in the late 90s when they first did live at 17 at Sawgrass. I did some work for the golf channel ESPN. I will say this we play a game, Chris, and it is a game. And I understand there's a lot of uh, benefits to it, and there's a lot of money and there's a lot of notoriety, but it's still a game. And I'm out there not every week, but you know, at least half the year and I watch these guys. And that's how we started playing this game. It, it was a game and it's a game we love. And I see, you know, my, my sort of reflection on it all is I see players kind of getting in their own way and not that I didn't. I'm sure I got in my own way many times when I was playing during my career, but I see that and we're trying to play. An imperfect game, perfectly. And what I would, what, what I noticed the most is it just doesn't seem like players trust themselves. I mean, they've played this game forever. They they know the shots. They they obviously circumstances change things. But I just think if if players would sit back and look at it and realize they're trying to do something that's impossible to do, and you just it's a game, and, and we're very fortunate. Uh, to play this game, and as my mother told me, and I re- you referenced my dad Bernard Ben and my mom Agnes, you know my mother told me one time, son, just think of your life. You got to play a game you love for a living, and now you get to talk about it for a living. I feel Fantastic. pretty fortunate, Chris.
0: I'm with you. You mentioned Mister Palmer being your other idol, and your first U.S. Open was his last one. Yeah. In 1994, just down the street from my hometown of Pittsburgh at Oakmont Country Club. A heck of a place to get to play your first Open. A heck of a, a, a backdrop, having Mr. Palmer ride out into the sunset that week as well. What do you remember about that week?
1: I just remember it was really hot and humid. Uh, I remember uh, I had to finish uh, on Saturday morning. And this is kind of funny uh i had to finish on saturday morning and i got in and this is before i don't know i think i had a i was trying to prove something Uh, i got done and i was like the last guy to make the cut and they said you want a marker and i was like nah i'm I'm just good i think it's like i'm gonna try to play the fastest round in golf history um had i known that the marker was going to be bob ford who was the head professional (laughs) at oakmont and Seminole, uh and he and i had actually <laughs> Laughed about this a number of times since then. But I remember just going out there and played by myself. <laughs> I finished 18 when the group behind me was teeing off 10. And I remember Chris Furman saying something. He played 18 holes in two hours and 20 minutes or something like that. But I remember walking into the locker room, still dressed, and walking into the shower and just turning the shower on. It was it was that humid. Uh, my father came up. He didn't get there until about halfway through that round in the morning. Uh, my brother was there. But I, Mr. Palmer was, as I mentioned, he and my father were my heroes. And uh, I, I didn't get to see his final hole because I was on the golf course. So I was behind him. Uh, he finished before me. I've seen video of it. But he is what professional golf I mean, he represented what professional golf is. Uh, a gentleman. Understanding his place in the game. Yes, there, there are so many benefits to it, but there's a humbleness. There was such a humbleness to him and appreciation. I mean, he would look you in the face. He would look at you in your eyes when he shook your hand. Uh, and you knew he shook your hand. Um, the way he signed his autograph, and just the way he felt like he needed to carry himself. And I think he learned that from his father. Uh, I learned a lot of things from my father, and there was a lot of similarity that I that I sort of uh, gleaned from both Mr. Palmer and my dad. Uh, I think they were very. My dad was probably a little bit older uh, than Mr. Palmer, but uh, they were from that same era where they worked hard to achieve things in life, and you got the benefits from that. But nothing was ever expected; everything was earned. And I just think he's exemplified, and he is. He has made uh, golf what it is today. And then certainly uh, Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods have added to that. But to me, he just re- represents what a professional golfer that plays on the PGA Tour should be. And uh, I've, I've always had his utmost respect. I was very fortunate uh, to be able to go to his uh, memorial service in La Trobe, uh, you know, after he passed away. And, and that's a memory that I will carry on for the rest of my life.
0: Mark, you are now one of the all-time great on-course broadcasters. Talk about making the transition from being a player to now out there describing what we see and painting the picture of what's going on during the course of a golf tournament.
1: Uh, It actually took me a while uh, after I quit playing competitively to be able to go out and enjoy playing golf. But when when I I decided the to go to broadcasting. I, I really ultimately had wanted to work for the PGA Tour as you know we talked about briefly about being part of that and I went on the other side and I was a tournament director uh for two years on um, which was a buy.com tour which is now corn Ferry tour and then I was a, a year at PGA Tour Champions event in Hickory North Carolina and that didn't work out and one of the things my father always told me was figure out a way to make your profession better than it was and it was not going to be through you know working at the tour and how do I do that and so an opportunity came up about the it was pure golf radio back in 2005 and and, and a friend of mine said hey would you want to be part of it and I did and and I go back sort of to the late 90s and and work doing some things for Golf Channel and ESPN, and it was explained to me by a producer, and it was, in, and this is the TV side of it, but I translated it to the radio side of it as well. Uh, with radio, I try to convey the scenario from a golfer's perspective. So if, if you're playing uh, the first hole at Oakmont, it's like Crest, and you hit your tee shot and then you're walking up there and, and you're coming down and you're coming into the green. And, you know, I might say, well, it's you know, it's a downhill approach, but from my perspective, if I'm happens to be behind the green and, and with radio, you, you have to be ahead of the action because you're calling the action into the hole where TV you've got cameras. So essentially you set up what's happening once the shot is hit, then the cameras catch it. But I've always felt, there was always kind of a, uh, you know, just in my crawl when I want to hear some announcers, and they would be calling shots from behind the green, and the player would hit it, and say there was a back right pin, and so he hits it on the right side of the green, and he said, "Well, he's putting from from left to right." Well, no, if he's a golfer, he's putting from right to left, and and I felt like I I I wanted to make sure that the the person listening, it was like they were playing the hole. Because if, if I came up to you, Chris, and you're playing the, the first hole at, at Oakmont, and I said, well, he's putting from left to right, but the pin's on the left. You're probably thinking, well, he must be left of the hole. Well, he's not, because he's putting right to left. And I just think you have to to add whatever you can with a listener. And, and you know, we're referenced many times to, to the great Vince Gullick uh, about the baseball game. And that you can never paint enough of the picture. There's always something you can add because someone is sitting there listening to this and you've got to figure out a way to make that person feel like they are there. And, and I've always felt the description uh, of everything around the shot, everything that's involved with the shot was extremely important. But my biggest goal was to make sure the listener whether it be you Chris or anyone else could put themselves in that situation and, and absolutely understand and realize what I was explaining to them. And, you know, it's something that came very natural to me. I don't know why. Uh, I always felt like I was a pretty shy person growing up and and even the college. But I'm talking about something I love. And I think that allows me to be more expressive and certainly more understanding of what a listener needs to understand exactly what's going on.
0: Mark, we have one more major left in this golf season, the Open Championship, and it's going to be played this year at Royal Liverpool. Have you ever played there, and, and what do you expect to see when we get there?
1: I, I have not. Um, uh, I, I had an opportunity to go and work there this year, but uh, I, I just, it just wasn't going to fit into my schedule. I'm actually doing the Scottish Open the week before for radio, but I I just I've been I've been on quite a bit this year. Uh, I'll make I'll make four trips across the pond this year, Chris. So wow, didn't want to stay another week. Um, As I mentioned earlier, I think there's there's a spiritualness to this game. Uh, I think you know when you look back two weeks ago to the RBC Canadian Open, uh, if if somehow Tommy Fleet would have would have won and beaten uh, Nick Taylor. He would have been the most hated person in Canada. I, I just have this feeling that it's either going to be Tommy Fleetwood or Rory McIlroy that wins there. I mean, that was Rory's only Open Championship win. You know, would it be fitting then he goes back there and wins? Yes. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood, who who grew up very close to there in Liverpool, you know, would that you know would it, would that be fitting for him to win? I, I believe in all that stuff. Whether it happens or not, I don't know. I think a lot is going to be due to the weather like it is in every week and every tournament. Uh, when Rory won there, it was pretty wet and soft. And I think there's this misnomer that, you know, Rory's from Ireland and, and it's like he plays a lot of Lynx golf. Rory hits a ball so high. Uh, it, it's like it, it's there, there's nothing sort of that, that links it to Lynx golf in the sense. Um but that's that's kind of what I think. That's that's what I kind of hope happens. Is that maybe it comes down to those two? And uh, because I think at the end of the day, golf golf shines a light a light on great stories. We had one this past week with Wyndham Clark. You had one at, with Nick Taylor at the Canadian Open. Uh, there's just something spiritual about the game that that I love, and I think sort of transcends uh, with most of the outcomes.
0: Mark, before I let you go, I know you got off Twitter. Is there oh. a way for our listeners to stay up to date with what you're doing and follow you somehow still?
1: Um, well, no, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook, Chris. Uh, I will be on PJ Tour radio this week uh, at the uh, Travelers Championship, and I'll be on PJ Tour Live at the, uh, uh, the Rocket Mortgage Classic, and then I'll be at the Scottish Open for radio. And we'll have a fairly full schedule the rest of the year through the Tour championship. But I it just frustrates me too much, Chris. <laughs> um, I, I know that's bad because I, I know there's I have fans out there and we see them every week out on the golf course. And I love them. But I'm just, you know, most of my life is an open book and I've decided to keep some of it private.
0: Mark, it's always a huge thrill to get to spend some time with you. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show with me. You're outstanding, my friend. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again soon.
1: Well, Chris, it's always a pleasure. I, I love what you do. I love that you're able to get uh, all this information out to golf fans. And I-, I am happy to come back anytime, my friend.
0: Take care, Mark. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up again soon. Thank you. See you, Mark. That is the great Mark Carnivale, a great player when he was out playing on the PGA Tour, hence why he was voted PGA Tour Rookie of the Year in 1992. Got a couple of wins out on tour and now just one of the best radio broadcasters doing golf anywhere on the planet and anywhere, anytime during the course of his career. And just an all-time great person on top of all of that. He is a 10 times better person than he is a broadcaster. And like I say, he's a Hall of Fame level broadcaster. I can't thank Mark enough for taking time out of his busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with him a little bit later on this summer. Maybe after the Open Championship or after the Tour Championship, we can do a little bit of a retrospective on this season. I love Mark and everything he does. And hopefully, like I say, we get the privilege of catching up with him again soon. Folks, I want to remind you about some friends of ours, starting with the folks over at Adele Golf. Power and precision. Adele Golf's SMS and SMS Pro irons offer the ultimate in iron adjustability. Featuring the revolutionary swing match weighting technology, precisely dial in each iron to your swing by moving the heaviest weight to its optimal position for maximum performance. Learn more about them by going to AdeleGolf.com. And folks, do you sway and you're off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure and are hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried Squares? Try the new Speedbolt at squares.com. That's Dot com. Looking for the ultimate Myrtle Beach golf experience? Well, it's only a click away. Check out the two-play special at two of America's most awarded public golf courses, Caledonia Golf and Fish Club and True Blue Golf Club. They are low-country masterpieces featuring two iconic Mike Strantz designs. Play these two incredible courses for one great price. Visit CaledoniaGolfandFishClub.com to learn more about the two-play special. And book your tea time today. Again, that's Caledonia Golf and Fish All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tea. I want to send out my sincere thanks again to Drew Kaler, Debbie O'Connell, and Mark Carnival for joining me this week. Scheduled to join me next week are, of course, our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick, who will be here. As I mentioned, Champions Tour pro Rob LeBritz. We'll be making his next on the T debut as will the new CEO of Adele golf, David Coors. And yes, from that Coors family, looking forward to having David as part of the show and we'll round it out with Chandler Withington. Chandler is a great artist. He is licensed by the PGA and the USGA. He's painted great pictures of the trophies from the U S open, the open championship and the Ryder cup. We'll talk about all of that. So folks, I can't thank you enough for listening to this show and making us a part of your golfing content. This show is available as a podcast just about everywhere you get your podcasting content. We're, of course, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and If you've got a favorite podcast app, we're probably on that one too. I want to send out a special thanks to the folks over at Good Pods for making this show one of their recommended podcasts. Download their free app and stream your favorite podcast on your favorite device there. And most of all, as I say, my thanks to all of you for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week, hit him straight, my friends.